Hey, you are listening to the Grumpy Guy BJJ podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? Got to take care of a few things before we jump into this week's episode. First, our ramping isometrics for BJJ program. It is a 12-week program all laid out for you. It's going to help you build strength and cardio in the fastest, safest, and most convenient way possible. This is how James and I have been training for the past year, and we love it. So we put this program together so you can just follow along, and we are certain you will see and feel the benefits that we do. It's only 15 bucks. Just go to GrumpyGuyBJJ.com, click the drop-down menu in the upper right-hand corner, and you'll find it. Next, R3. Is this is our K2 D3 supplement. It is a combination combination of those two vitamins D3 and K2. These are two vitamins that James and I have been taking for a long time that really help us recover from hard training sessions. And for only 15 bucks with free shipping, you get a whole month supply. I was going to pull up some studies explaining the benefits of D3 and K2, but I'm not going to insult your intelligence and pretend to be a fucking scientist. I take it it helps me recover. That's it. So for 15 bucks, check it out. And last but certainly not least, we have partnered up with Dejitsu.com. They have a ton of awesome BJJ instructionals, and they have hooked us up with a discount code for our listeners. It's Grumpy10. So what you got to do is you go to Dejitsu.com, which is D-I-G-I-T-S-U.com. Find the instructionals you want, throw them in a shopping cart, in the little discount code box, you type in Grumpy10, which is just G-R-U-M-P-Y, and the number 10, one zero. That's it. No spaces. Boom. You get 10% off. You're up and running. They got a nice app you can download on your phone. That way you can take your instructions right to the gym with you, watch the technique, drill it. It's a pretty sweet setup. So once again, D-I-G-I-T-S-U.com, discount code Grumpy10, G-R-U-M-P-Y, one zero. Simple as that. To find all this stuff I just got done talking about, go to our website, grumpyguybjj.com. Click the drop-down menu in the upper right-hand corner. There, you'll subscribe to our newsletter for podcast updates. You'll find links for the Ramping ISOs program, the R3 Recovery Supplement, and then under the Programs and Products tab, you'll find a link to dejitsu.com. And let's be honest, if you guys can't figure out how to navigate a website by now, there's nothing I can do to help you. So quit fucking around. Check it out, train hard, and let's get into this week's episode. And boom. Okay. Here we are. Here we are. I can move this over now that Aka moved. Back to our fortnightly fortnightly podcast. Last week we went and shot guns. We did. That was we funny shit, dude. We went and shot shotguns. Yes. Yeah. Shot some trap. Yep. Never done that before. Yeah, a lot of people haven't. Like a lot of people. You know, you tell them to go shoot trap or skeet or clay. They just kind of put all those into one. Yeah, like I didn't clay know pigeon. Difference. Well, they don't realize like the actual, the sport of it. Yeah. You know the, um, the rules, so to speak. Right. You know the etiquette, because a lot of people th- hear about it and think about it, and it's usually just going out in the desert or the field. And one buddy has the gun, the other buddy's got the clay pigeons, the box, and then the, <laughs> and they send them flying yeah. out. There. Or or you have the kick trap where you kick right, it right, and send yeah. it out. And so yeah, it's in the. So I remember you said, you're like, oh, I didn't, because we get up there and you got the, the trap house and you got to get in there and get all the microphones or the speakers out, you know, and set all that and connect everything, you know, so it's a little, because it's, it's called five stand, you got five stations you shoot from 
And so, I mean, now when you see it, it all makes sense. You're like, oh, yeah. <coughs> like, okay, this all makes perfect sense. Right. But until you see it, like, it's... For me to explain that to you... Yeah. Without seeing it, you're like... Oh, I can get a vague idea, but, like, it's, yeah, seeing it, it's like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. I had no idea. The speaker thing... And we keep calling them speakers, but they're microphones. Microphones, yeah. But, but they, they, they look, look like, like speakers. speakers. They look like speakers. I know. Yeah. I keep calling them speakers because they look like it. But so they're technically microphones. Yeah. So you're pulling these things out, and I'm wondering, like, dude, what the fuck are these speakers for? <laughs> like... Is this part of the, the deal? Like they're gonna like randomly fucking haul yeah, noise you. at you or something, or what is going on? So yeah, but th- having the microphones there so you could just say pull, and then the machine would would do it yeah. was was pretty sweet. And again, I never thought about it, but you're right. Like from a competition aspect, like that's what's gonna happen. Like you're going to you're gonna say pull, right? Like yep. it's up to you to say pull so Correct. you can shoot when you're ready. Correct. And and so yeah, you going out there and not being able to mimic that if you don't have a buddy to to do it uh isn't technically training for trap shooting exactly and so that makes sense but yeah they had a bunch of boxes there's some people that take their trap shooting oh, very yeah. seriously yeah yeah that's i'm just getting started into man i really like it i mean it's just it's one of those things being new to something i'm not good at it right so i have a lot of room for growth yeah and it's it's it's, it's addicting yeah, because yeah, you you start breaking a few of them, you're like, oh yeah. And when man, you'll get into these little zones. Like I've only sniffed it, and it's similar to jujitsu, to where you kind of have this little out of body experience, man. To where you just in the rhythm, you just pull, bang, boom, boom, pull, bang, boom, and, yeah. and you just and yeah. But I mean, it's very fleeting for me because, like, for example, you know, I'm on a trap shooting league. Yeah, I go out on Tuesday nights and shoot, and I didn't do very good. I just I just got my gun back from the gunsmith. So I got it fitted, so it's fitting yeah. me a little bit better, and um, so I'm just getting used to that. And uh, yeah, I shot an 18 the first round, and then a 17 the second round, I think, because you shoot your first round from where we were shooting that 16 yeah. yard line, and then they configure a handicap. Then we had to move back to the 22 yard line or something. I Jesus Christ! And we had to shoot from there, <laughs> and uh, I only got 17. Which in the, the first week, still. the first week at leagues, I did better. I did like. 22 and 18 which still in like the trap world is not good like if you're right. not if you're not getting 23 24 25 yeah like you're trash you're, yeah you're not winning anything yeah the margin for error at the top of any shooting discipline it's, is just like if you miss one you're, you're yeah exactly fucked. exactly yeah so no it's not bad like I, I gotta get used to my gun but man it sure is fun it's a i dig it so, it is fun yeah. yeah it was interesting man yeah we had uh that first round I was like, man, what the fuck? I, I would, couldn't figure out. I knew something was off. And I was missing them. And then we had that conversation, and you talked about keeping your eyes more level with the horizon. Yep. And then, and it makes total sense. You know, that's how your brain is is set to, you know, take in the environment. So you tilt your head too much to put your cheek on the the stock, and you change your orientation, and uh, it's just like going to the ground. That's why people have so much trouble with jujitsu. We're so used to our eyes being on the horizon and, mm-hmm. and, and you know orienting ourselves with our environment that way that when you go to the ground and all of a sudden that orientation is different, it's that's what fucks people up. That whole like, you know, the, the ground is an ocean and I'm a shark and most people don't even know how to swim yep. kind of thing. And that's what but yeah, as soon as you you know tilt the head and you disorient the the field of view, then it's gonna fuck things up. Mm-hmm. So keeping that straight was uh, made a lot of difference. 
So and there's something yeah. there's something primal about when you bust a bird. Yeah, you, know, you hit a clay pigeon out there. You're like, oh, that was far, and then yeah. you just want to keep going. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I want to do it again because it was. Uh, I yeah, I got to do it again because the first time you're just like, what the fuck it's, am I doing? It's, it's sensory overload. Yeah, like, even when I'm hitting stuff, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I yeah. can't really. Like, I don't feel like I'm owning any part of this experience right now. This is just me, like, beginner's luck. You yeah. know, it's fun, but it's like, all right, I got to go and, and, you know, dig into it a little bit. You know, that's so. exactly a very similar experience. So a couple years back, the first time I went with my brother, you know, down in Texas, and uh, I, had barely, like, I had barely ever shot a shotgun in my life. I can't even remember prior to that. I may have, you know, a couple times as a kid. Yeah. And so noob noob and my brother was pretty new to it and he and one of his buddies came with us and he was kind of like our mentor showing us and we didn't shoot like actual trap what we did we we had a launcher mm, and he yeah. was just giving us a lesson and launching them out there and i was I, the same thing happened like i was out there just killing shooting right-handed shooting because i usually shoot left-handed but i was yeah. shooting left-handed shooting right-handed just fucking hit and we were shooting doubles we were throwing two out at a time just because you know apparently this this guy wanted to do <laughs> And I was hitting a lot, and I was like, and I was like, oh fuck, I'm a pro at this. <laughs> <laughs> and so, very, I think there's probably a lot of people that have that experience. You know, yeah. guys like us that are fairly, like, we can pick up a lot of things and do yeah. them decently, you yeah. know, just from our physical attributes and just years of doing shit, hand-eye coordination. Like, yeah. <clears throat> and so, but yeah, you get the skewed view of picking uh, it up and repeating it are yeah. two, two different, different things, things, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. That's why I was, I was. I mean, I think you're like if it's something you stick with, like you'll do good. You'll oh, for fast. sure. For but sure. Yeah, it'll it'll ebb and flow. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, that was, uh, but that was fun, man. I hadn't I hadn't shot shotguns before, so getting to go out there and shoot a bunch of clay pigeons, and then the turkey round there at the end yeah. was, uh, yeah, I was. That was a thing. Yeah, he had experience with shooting a heavier load, heavier load out of the end of that. See why you don't want to miss, man. You don't have to fucking shoot your story of going out there and shooting in the desert with the fucking turkey loads and being like, man. Yeah, that's how, okay. how do you get? How do you do it? How do people shoot twenty five plus of these things? Yeah, yeah. Because so my back to like my first like my most experience with a shotgun was with my brother a couple years ago, and we were shooting target loads, and we shot a bunch of birds that day. So back in March or April when I bought my first shotgun, that Remington 870, I like I didn't I didn't buy target loads. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about getting into tra- trap shooting. This right. this gun was just a multi-purpose home protection. If I want to get into hunting, gun like an all-purpose gun. I was like, well, I need to go shoot this thing, right? I need to be good with it. So I went out to the desert, and I had bought turkey load because it was when I bought my gun. It was basically turkey season. And so that was the most readily available ammo at the store. Yeah. And, you know, and so I was like, oh, I'll just fucking buy turkey, Lord. And I just, I'm buying this just to shoot a method that comes into my house, basically. Right. Like, when you really want to get down He's to it. He's a turkey, I'll shoot him. Yeah. And so I just bought a bunch of turkey, load. I was like, well, let's go out to the desert and shoot this thing. Holy fuck, man. The first time I put a, put a slug in there and pulled the trigger... And that thing kicked. I was like, dude, this is not like shooting my brothers. I was like, why? If I turned into a pussy in two years, like, why is this just wrecking my shoulder? So I went out there. I was like, no, maybe I'm just holding the gun wrong. Let's really focus down, do or see what I'm doing here. Bang, fuck. <laughs> so I shot like 17 rounds that day. I was like, I'm done. And dude. I, I was a little discouraged. I'm like, man, why? I was like, because my brother had a semi-automatic. Well, 17 methods. If there were 18, I'd be fucked. Oh, I was like, dude, I did not want to shoot anymore. And I didn't understand 
why it was kicking so much more. Then I was like, yeah. is it the gun? I was like, because I just had got a, that 870 yeah. pump. My, the gun I shot with my brother was a nice semi-automatic. Semi-automatics tend to take a little bit of kick off it. But we were shooting trap load. And or target load. And so I just, in my inexperience, I just didn't know. But I stayed committed. I went and bought some target load, went out to the trap club. And I was like, oh, yeah. I can shoot this thing all day long. Yeah. Target load's no big deal. Yeah, it's definitely. And you fucking put it you know, 500 rounds a day and you, you might feel a little bit. But. Yeah. It's funny, man. I could feel it a little bit when we, when uh, from shooting and just like first time yeah. shooting. And then, uh, man, yeah. And then we went and shot that turkey load and I was like, damn, fuck. Yeah. yeah like yeah. Whatever, I thought I, whatever I thought I was feeling, like I'm definitely feel feeling yeah. now. You'll know. You'll feel that. Even just shooting one, one or two turkey loads. Yeah. Or slugs or something. Buckshot. Yeah, you'll feel that for a couple of days. Yeah. I'm sure it's like anything else. You can get hardened to it a little yeah. bit, but it's not going to be the no, same. That's why they got target you loads. Yeah, you're getting kicked in the shoulder. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. You're trying to fucking shoot something out the other end hard enough to kill something. You got to put the other end against something. It's like your shoulder's the wedge. Yeah, your shoulder's the wedge. And yeah. Pull the trigger and it's going to kick. You got an explosion uh, going off six inches from your face. Like, <laughs> I know. You know, it's... Yeah. But yeah, man, it's fun. I really like it. It's a good hobby for me. Cool, yeah. Well, I talked to Kiele about going out there. She said she'd be interested in going out there. We should take her out there. Yeah. Angela's she, getting into it. Angela didn't do too bad. She's on the league with me. She, uh, it's good practice for her because, you know, this carries over to jiu-jitsu too because she, she has trouble with the mental aspect of jiu-jitsu, like competing. Like basically yeah. whenever she competes, she just like mentally melts down and fucking can't remember how to do anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that happened the first night. At, because we went out there, we shoot a lot of practice rounds. We go out like once a week and shoot a practice round. Yeah. You know, or two, you know, shoot quite a few actually. And then leagues on Tuesday night. And she got out there and just melted down. Like she, when we're out there practicing... I mean, it's, she'll shoot in the 15s, roughly, 15 out of 25, you know, which isn't bad for getting yeah. started. And, dude, she, I think, the, like, you shoot two rounds and went on league night, and then uh, she hit, like, three the first round and four the second one, and she was super discouraged, you know. And so we get out there this Tuesday, it was the second night of leagues, and uh, she again, we shot, we got out there early and shot some practice rounds to get the jitters out a little yeah. bit, so I figured that helps <clears throat> me, it helps me. And uh, the first round, she still kind of, melted down a little bit and I finally I was like listen I was like it doesn't matter how good you do we're doing this for fun yeah I was like if you're not having fun there's no point in fucking doing this who cares if you hit zero or if you hit 25 I was like I know you do I know that was damn but you gotta just and every time you pull the trigger that's done and gone into the ether like you have a chance to redeem yourself the next time like you, you get a do over every time you know what I mean like you just, I was like don't keep a running score just think about it each bird that comes out of the house that's it just Try to do your best shot each time and just yeah. redo it. Like, if you miss it, you allow yourself one second of, fuck, I missed. And then just you're on to the next one. Think about your setup. Think about, you know, everything. And so she did that. I think she got, like, 14 or 15 in the second round. So she did yeah. quite a bit better. That is I, better, yeah. yeah. But it, I think it's, it's just good mental training for her. Like, yeah. There's like, nothing yeah. training for competition like competing. Exactly. And, and that's the hard thing with jiu-jitsu is it's hard to compete, like, really consistently at it mm -hmm. so that's why people that have some sort of competition background coming into jujitsu like you know i did track mm -hmm. you know a lot different but it's like man you you know i ran a bunch of meets like man you know you would run a, a, a dual meet against another school every week and you'd have the big meets at the end of the year and and just that getting exposed to having to deal with just the pressure and the pressure. mind fuck. And all yeah. it is is that extra little word, competition. That's it. Like, we're shooting this league. Dude, it's a recreational league. Yeah. Matters fuck all. 
You yeah. know what I mean? I have I don't I don't know if the team even wins the T-shirt or anything. Like I have no idea. Like yeah. there's probably just a, a dinner at the end of the ten weeks or something. Like there's nothing. Yeah. And uh, I was like, there's no, but it's called a league. There actually there's a scorekeeper out there, so you're not keeping track of yourself. You know they got it's different. Yeah. It's a little different. Competition's a different thing. And the dude, they're, it's it's a cool scene up there because there's like thirty teams. They limited it to thirty teams this time because of the pandemic bullshit. And but there is just I mean they're set up on. 15 or 12 different trap houses so it's just and there's five people on each team so it's just bang 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 there's guns going off all over just there's a lot of shit going on there's scorekeepers you know it's yeah it's it and uh so it's good it's it's you're getting desensitized to those nerves those competition nerves yeah yeah no that's uh that's the hardest thing performing under pressure yeah is is the is those nerves man so it's funny i actually got a uh what was it i got the this came in my last BJJ box, the uh, the fuck's it called? Who's this guy? The BJJ mental coach. You heard of? Heard oh of yeah, him? Gustavo Dantas. You ever yeah. heard of this guy? Yeah. So yeah, he's got a uh, a program basically. That's exactly what it's geared for. Is like dealing with competition um, mindset, and that's what it is. That's the funny thing is like competition had it's it's has much less to do with the physical side than the mental side. Yep. Like the physical side's there. It's the mental side. And that's why like when you're trying to, to train for competition, that's what you're trying to train. You're not trying to train the physical side. And that's where people get fucked up because they think like, oh, if I work really hard and I'm training the physical side really hard, that is competition training. It's like, no, man, you got to put yourself in the in the similar situations. And we've talked about this a lot. Like, you know, it's, it's not easy to do, but really, if you're trying to train to compete for jujitsu and you think about what's a competition for jujitsu, it's like, well, I got, you know, one round, people are watching and, ref. and then you got a ref. Yep. And then I get a break and it's intermittent how long it's going to be. And then I got to do it again. And so as close as you can get to doing that, uh, the better because it just exposes you to that different type. I mean, you know, rolling for five minutes when there's, you know, 10 other people on the mat and then slapping hands and then, you know, 60 seconds later doing it again. Like, man, that's hard in its own right. But, but it's not, you're not... You're mentally, not it's not the same thing. Not at all. Not, not at all. Not, not at all. I mean, yeah, you're going to get your physical conditioning yeah. in check. Yep. But as far as the mental side, it's, it's nowhere near preparing you for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's why like you know the top teams have competition teams because yes. it is a different thing. And and the normal person who's coming in to train jujitsu really doesn't want to do that. Right. That's not what he's there for. And but if you're a competitor, like there's a certain element of like you have to train that mental side, and and that's that's fucking hard. It's uncomfortable because that's how competition is. So, but it's uh, yeah, you know, like I said, it's hard to do that with jujitsu because you know you just can't compete. I mean, that's why guys who wrestle, but you know, even if they're like, it fucking cracks me up, man. I had a guy come in, he's uh, had his first class on Thursday and he's one of those guys like, oh man, I wrestled in high school. That was like 10 years ago. And it's just like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like you have no clue what that is worth. Mm -hmm. Like you, I like, yeah, you need to not be cocky. Like I appreciate that. But like that is worth so much like mat time, competition, Performing under, performing under pressure, just knowing what it's like to, you know, be uncomfortable with someone else putting pressure on you. Like, dude, all those things are so valuable. And even if they were 10 years ago, man, they're there. They're there. They're baked into your fucking, you know, DNA on some level. 
So it's, uh, yeah, those things help. But yeah, if you haven't had that chance, and that's one of the things like, you know, a lot of girls, especially, you know, Angela's age, uh, they didn't have the opportunities to compete. So, uh, you know, like Kelly didn't have a lot of competition experience. You know, she's competed a little bit surfing, but not much at all. It was just mainly doing it for fun. And so, you know, yeah, that, that uh, you know, having things that give you the chance to expose yourself to that mental pressure uh, helps. Dude, it's so, it's so good, not just for competing, just for life. Yeah. Being able to com- perform under pressure. Or like when you when you get yourself uh, into a stressful situation in life, and you you feel this you know physiological response. Yeah, you're like, oh, I've been here before. Like, okay, I know how to handle this. Why why am I thinking? Well, first of all, like if it's just a normal life, you're like, okay, why am I reacting this way? Am I blowing something up that doesn't need to be blown up? And then you okay, no, this is a serious situation. It's good that I'm heightened, but I've been here. I don't I don't like to panic. And that's where I see, you know... Just, or even if you haven't been there, you know panicking. You know from experience that panicking ain't going to help. Right. And, and that's where I see it in day-to-day life. Just, yeah, you know, at work, you know, I work with several guys that just kind of like melt down under pressure. Just from like the stress of the day. Or just getting yeah. their deliveries done. Just, you know, there's, there's any time you're doing a job you want to do good. So you have this added pressure on it. And I see certain guys just fucking melt down. And I'm like, oh, you've never competed in anything in your life. Like, you were putting a lot of weight <laughs> on this. You know? Yeah. And, and you see it. Like, oh man, like, competition in sports for kids is so good. So good for adults. Even if you didn't do it as a kid, not it's not like all hope is lost. I mean, you can still get out there and do shit like jujitsu, like trap shooting. Yeah. You can, you can find, you know, avenues to make yourself a little uncomfortable. Have to circle a date on the calendar and put some pressure on yourself yep. to yep. show up perform. and perform. Yeah. And I mean, really, perform doesn't mean win. No. Like just show, dude, showing off is the toughest part. Yeah, stepping on the mat is like in, in slapping hands and. Because you find a million and one excuses. I still do. Like I grew up, man. I started karate when I was five years old, and I was doing karate tournaments. You know where you do kados and you yep. do sparring, from the age of five until twelve or something, thirteen, and so, and then dude, you know all the different sports I played as a kid, and then martial arts again as, in my adulthood. But still, even all, you still get a little nervous in competition. Yeah. Going into a tournament, you know, like when we're training for Masters Worlds or even Fight to Wins, you know, hopefully they have those again one day. Right. But uh, you still get nervous and, you, and your brain tries to find outs. Oh, yeah. Weeks leading out. Like, yeah. Oh, am I hurt? You know, <laughs> this, you know, like you fight. But once you get there, it's not that. But once you slap hands and get out there, you're like, ah, okay. Yeah. My, I was making such a big deal. It's the lead up to it. It's the lead. That's the worst fucking part, man. Yeah. Worst part. And it, you just got to learn to keep it together during those stages yeah yeah no it's it's so true but it's it is man he calls it the dark passenger you call it your inner bitch you know it's that that fucking voice that's that tries to help you find that excuse yeah tries to tell you that like you know oh yeah no it's okay you got this excuse or you know just so many things man like that little voice will will fuck you over and that's really like with competition at its at its key man you got to be fucking zen you have to not listen to those voices like the monkey mind that's what screws you over and if you that, that's what makes competition so hard is because that monkey mind's enhanced because you have this extra thing on it and so you, you've given this fucking this little voice in your head extra fuel like extra things to talk about and and you so you have to try even harder to not tune in and not focus and and let it go 
and it's not easy and it takes practice and everybody has to do it. It's, it's totally natural. It's that old thing, man. Like being brave isn't not being afraid. It's, you know, it's what you do with it. Yeah. It's feeling afraid to normal. Mm-hmm. So it's, what do you do with it? I mean, feeling afraid is normal unless you're Alex Honnold, but he's not normal. His brain's he's not different. Normal, yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's a, it's, it's a normal thing. And yeah, finding avenues, which interestingly trap shooting was one that, you know, until a few months ago, I never would have thought of. Uh, but yeah, that would be, that'd be fun. That'd be, I, that'd be fun. We, I want to get you and Kelly out there. Yeah. See if, you know, Kelly likes it and I'm glad you're liking it because my goal, it's not so secret goal. I want to, <laughs> I want to get you hooked on it. You yeah. Know, come out there and shoot with me and yeah. Do a league sometime. Do a league or something. Be fun, man. They do a couple leagues a year. They do the summertime league, and I think they do a fall slash winter league. Yeah. It's it's fun. And that way you can, you know, I let you shoot my, that 870. That 870 is a good gun, man. Just yeah. a good all-purpose. That's like Remington's tried and true fucking 12-gauge pump shotgun, man. Man, are, I like that. Zero complaints about it. Like when you were like, do you want to try my, my, my nice one? And I'm glad I did because there's definitely a difference. But to be honest with you, it wasn't like I was like... No. Oh yeah, like I, there was a part of me that was almost like, nah, you know, you did good with this. Like this thing was was good. I liked it. And then, but I was there more for the experience. Yeah. And but yeah, dude, that, your nice gun's fucking nice. But I had zero complaints about that. No, that, that is Remington. Then that's you know that's what I was shooting at first. And I still take it out there and shoot it just because I want to keep rounds through it and yeah. be comfortable with it. But dude, that is a there's like ten million of those in circulation. Huh. That's, that's like the one of the most popular guns. So yeah. it's super easy to repair and work on and clean. Dude, you could take that thing and dig a hole with it and then pick it up and fucking shoot something if you had to. Like, it is just a robust, yeah, all-around gun. It's a really nice gun. And it's cheap. Out the, like, out the door, taxes and everything, I think I paid like 420 bucks for it. Yeah. 427 I think, was it. And that's, you know, under 500 bucks for a good gun. That all pretty, you can protect your home with it. You can go hunting with it. You can go trap shooting with it. Yeah. yeah. What's around the the trap rounds? Or what's, what's a box of the trap rounds running? Uh... Again, you know, there's always spectrums. Yeah. You know, you can go, you can get retarded with it if you want. I'm sure. But that's one that is an expensive hobby. Uh, The average ones I buy are basically $5.50 for 25 rounds. I buy them in a case. Yeah. You buy a case of, uh, what is it? It's uh, 10 boxes to a case. Right? Does that seem right? Yeah, yeah that's about right. It's because it's, it's roughly 50 <clears throat> bucks a big, they call it a flat. It's roughly 50 bucks a flat. Cool. So I buy them by the case. Yeah, that's yeah. not bad. No, it's not bad. Find out basically in the in the shoot around a trap, you got to buy those cones, the the coins, mm-hmm. the tokens, to put in the machine. That way, you can operate the trap. How much do those cost? Five dollars around. So, so about ten bucks. You buy ten, ten, basically eleven dollars around. Yeah. Every time you go out there and shoot a full round of trap, twenty five round, twenty five birds. Yeah. It costs you eleven bucks. Huh. Basically. Yeah, yeah. So it's not the cheapest sport. It's not a cheap sport. <laughs> it's not, yeah. It's not like, like mountain biking is expensive, but once you buy your shit, you're good. You don't have, you don't yeah. have, I mean, you got your gas. I don't, I don't have to buy something every time I want to go ride. Correct. So, yeah. But every time you go shooting. You know, that was one, because like, I'm kind of a cheapskate when it comes to certain things. And that's like, I like guns. I've always liked guns. I just never got into them. Yeah. Because every, you know, Every time you squeeze that trigger, there's fucking dollar bills. Yeah, I know, man. At the end of that barrel. Yeah. And I I couldn't get past that. But once I got, basically, I think I'm addicted to this whole trap shooting thing. Yeah. I I was like, okay, I don't see dollar bills flying out the end of the barrel anymore. Yeah. I found a way to justify it in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's different once you look at it differently. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. If you don't understand it, then it's always dollar bills. You look at people 
doing yeah people probably look at jujitsu right you know you buy a fucking 300 dollars gi and they're like that's just dollar bills yep it's like no 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 it's more than that so but yeah it's uh that's cool yeah definitely have to go go do it again and get Keely out there there. do that so maybe we got enough guns between the two two of us and yeah we can have guns for everybody i know i gotta go get one that's my next thing on my list. I gotta put it on my and Remington eight seventy man. Ever That'd be my list. suggestion. Yeah, I, I mean that's I've had no complaints. I'm just go with that. <clears throat> so I looked at one point at, at uh I forgot what it was, but I was looking at a nine millimeter. I came pretty close to getting it. I'd gone to the gun range and just tried a few different guns, and it was one that like definitely stood out as like feeling and performing better, which is what blows my mind. It's like We've been making guns for a long time. Oh, yeah. It's not like it's a fucking mystery how to make a gun that works, right? And so it, it really is like the level of quality and stuff in guns is interesting to me because it seems like, you know, there's a shit ton of guns. There's a lot of different manufacturers, a lot of different guns. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it seems like there's always a few that stand out. Right. It's like, you know, these are the ones that really stand out. Or, you know, if you really, if you're going to get one, you have the opportunity, this is a good one to get. And again, it's like, why? You know, like, what are they doing that's so different that these other guys can't do? I think a lot of it boils down to, this is me being a machinist. You know, I spent 12 years as a machinist. Um, It goes into the tolerances. So when they're manufacturing these parts, the mills and the lathes and whatnot, they just really tighten up the tolerances. Yeah. So they pay when they hire a machine shop to make these gun components. You know, like, so say you you want to make a certain part for this gun. You know, you can, you give the machinist, you know, a spectrum. You're like, okay, here you have plus or minus 5,000. It's like 0.005 of an inch yeah. you know, to make this certain dimension. Right, 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 yeah. And so the, like, the more expensive, the tighter tolerance, you're going to be like, hey, man, you have, you, we want this part really good. We want it plus or minus 0.000 a tenth. Infinite, you know, like, yeah. you know, something like that. Like, they just really tighten up all the tolerances yeah. and, and things like that and put a little more time into the, the machining aspect of it. Yeah. To make them all functional. Yeah. Again, I can, and I think there's probably something to that, especially with like the cheaper guns. Mm-hmm. So I could understand, you know, you're, you're paying on average around like $500 for a decent gun. Seems, you know, give or take. Right. Uh, you can definitely pay way more, but it seems like that's just in the little research I've done. And so, yeah, I can see if someone's trying to sell you a $200 gun. You're like, all right. But again, you know, that's not, you see guns that cost a decent amount. And it's like, why is this, you know, what is, what's so different? Again, if I got into it, it's just one of those, those weird curiosity yeah. things. Because, uh, man, I actually remember in my one year of college, I had to read this book on, I can't remember what class it was in, but it was on this factory that made guns and gun parts back in the, like, 1800s or something like that. And, like, just kind of following the economic ups and downs of the gun industry, you know, and, and the particular kinds of guns that they made. And so it, uh, so somewhere in the back of my mind, like, you know, making guns and and kind of what goes into it on some level got planted. And so when I look at guns, I don't know why I'm like, man, why is that one? You know, they almost cost the same, but like that one's the one that everybody wants. Like, what's the deal with that? (laughs) You know, what are they doing differently at the, at the manufacturing level or whatever? But so, anyways, guns. Cool. Yeah. We're about to go out shooting again. Yeah. We will. It's good times. Yeah, for sure. So, 
the smell of gunpowder, and you say, it's nice. You get out there and hear the bang, bang, and you smell the, the shells. Gets addicting pretty quick. Fuck yeah. Oh yeah. So, oh, any uh, uh, predictions for CrossFit now that they've sold? Dude, that's crazy. I don't know that. This Eric Rosa cat who bought it, I don't know who he is. He's out from Boulder. Oh, is he? Yeah. Well, I don't know if he's from Boulder. He lives in Boulder now. Yeah. He, I think he made a shit ton of money. Uh, God, what was it? There's like a big tech company, Oracle or some shit. Yeah. I think he spent some time there, some high level dude. That was my understanding. <clears throat> in all the articles and stuff, it's just portrayed as a box owner. Like yeah. some random box owner somehow came up with the money to cough up to get Glassman to sell him this. And it's like, you know, then you read a little like bit that. more and you're like, oh, this guy's some freaking tech, yeah. you know, multi, multi, probably like, you know, hundred millionaire yeah. type so, guy. Yeah, he made a shit ton of money, moved to Boulder. You know, he only runs a CrossFit gym there just because he's bored probably. Yeah. <laughs> made all his money. Fuck yeah. He's like, oh yeah, I'll buy CrossFit. So, well, I don't know. I don't have any, I haven't really thought about it a whole lot. So I said that would be the only way they'd save it. Yeah. As long as Glassman was attached to it, he'd have to sell it. Yeah. I'm a little surprised he sold it. I mean, I'm not, but I wouldn't have been surprised at all if he would have just said, fuck all of you. I'm hanging on to it. If it burns to the ground, it burns to the ground. It's my fucking baby. Fuck you. Yeah. It, yeah. That, that wouldn't have surprised me at all. Wouldn't have surprised me at all. At all. I'm not surprised he sold because when someone comes dangling, again, the details aren't clear, but it was valued at like in the billions. Right. And so I'm sure he got it for pennies on the dollar, but that still comes out to a lot of money, man. Yeah, and Glassman's older and he's like, you know what? I don't want the Fuck stress this, of this, man. Yeah. Give me my money, man. I don't I'm need this. Spend the rest of my life just chilling. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to pinch girls' asses in peace. That's right. <laughs> And I got enough money to pay for a few lawsuits. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I don't. I mean, it's. I don't mean to laugh at because he's. He's. A, if he's doing that stuff, he's. You know, he's a piece of shit. Right. And he needs to treat. You know, women with more respect. Uh, even if you have women that have no scruples that are throwing themselves <laughs> at you, because that's the thing. You they know? still deserve respect. You what can... they do, but like I said, I think the the problem is, is that you end up in this situation. Obviously, people kind of predispose this way, anyways. You know, like if you have. I don't know, some sort of like moral upbringing, you, you still don't like go as hardcore that direction. But, you know, you find yourself in this position of power and you have women who use sex as a way to, for them to advance. It's not all this like men taking advantage of women. Like women take advantage of men too. For sure. For sure it happens, man. So it's not like all of these girls whose asses he was pinching were like, didn't want it, you know? Like some of them were like showing him his ass and saying, you know, you want to pinch me. You know what I mean? Like, and so, but then you start to think that all girls are like this. And so you start to treat other girls like, oh, they all want me to pinch their ass. And that's, that's where things go off the rails. And it's like, and that's where like, again, you know, people, you know, what is it? Was he kind of a, you know, a moral piece of, you know, trash and, and this just exposed it or you find himself in this unusual situation and didn't really know how to handle it or, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, it's it's that uh, that cult leader thing, man. It's so cliche. It's ridiculous. It's, but dude, we're not wired to have that much money and power, man. Like, no, there's very, very, very few of us that can handle that properly, man. Yeah. That's why all these scandals come out. I mean, it's. I think nowadays we're not surprised when this kind of shit comes out, but we're not wired to fucking have that much power and money over people, man. It just it's gonna corrupt. Yeah, it's good. 
It's, it's even just, the people around you that it attracts. Yep. You know, because that's the thing. Because you have people around that know, oh, he's pinching chicks' butts that he shouldn't be pinching. But, like, eh, you know. That's just Greg. Uh, it's just Greg. And, you know, I got this position and all this stuff. And so it's this whole thing. You know, it's not just Greg. Like, right. he's, he's obviously, he needs to be held responsible for what he did. But to pretend that it's just him isn't it. It's like this whole. The culture know, that allowed it. Yeah. This culture they, that allowed it's it. It's not like it was a secret. Yeah. It was going on. So. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, somehow he ends up with a bunch of money <laughs> and fucking riding off into retirement in the sunset. And uh, this guy has got CrossFit. So, yeah, be interesting. I mean, I hope for good things. Like I, I I've said it before. Um, I'm I'm really impressed by all the CrossFit athletes. The high level man. Like I get a kick. Yeah. Out, I get a kick out of it. Like these, they are impressive human beings, man. Yeah. And so I like to see it. And you know, I and. For these athletes that are making a living out of it, more power to them, man. And now hopefully they can continue. Hopefully the yeah. sport continues to grow. The best thing for that would be if they're able to just kind of transition back exactly. to, okay, CrossFit, CrossFit games. games and, yep. and these different competitions where these guys can earn a living doing it. Yeah. And we get to watch it. Like, it's a win-win for everybody. So yep. I hope that – I'm I'm optimistic, man. I hope it will – because there's a lot, a lot of people I really – I think so, too. A lot of people really like it. Yeah. And I have no idea who this Eric Rosa character is, but obviously he really likes CrossFit if he's willing to – pony up this large chunk of money for it and yeah. you know and leadership is so important you know i think that's a big reason why our country's so fucked up right now is because we get <laughs> shit leadership yeah and yeah and it just filters down through everything I, speaking of that i got a crazy prediction i'm gonna make okay i want we're gonna be recorded live here so i'm gonna make a crazy prediction i'll get it yeah. but uh yeah so we'll see i mean hopefully this guy's got good leadership skills and he can build a good environment and yeah. that'll filter down through the whole CrossFit community and it continue to grow and be good for everybody. Have yeah. a bunch of fit, healthy people out there. Definitely they should do a few things different. I think they should get their, yeah, I don't know, maybe they have, they've changed, but, you know, get their affiliate thing under control. Tighten that up a little bit more. Tighten so that yeah. up and, you know, have some territory for people. Because it's really kind of fucked up that you put all this time, energy, and effort into building a CrossFit gym and then somebody can just move into a fucking garage and pay the money and you know down the street and it's like oh they're a crossfit too and yep. it's like to the consumer it's hard for them to tell the difference between a good crossfit gym and just a crossfit gym and so yeah i i hope they they take this opportunity because it seemed like the that was one of the complaints it wasn't just greg being you know an asshole it was you know how the affiliates were being treated yeah they were well, they it was just a free-for-all yeah they, they just basically you can use our name Here's the requirements. You got to write us a letter, pay your fees, yep. and you can use the name. You can open up. You can open up a gym here, and then I can go literally a block away and open up a gym. There was no regulations on that, yeah. so there's no looking out for affiliate owners to help them grow their business. Yeah. Well, most of the time, when people you know have these chain businesses, they want each each chain to be very successful. Right. So they put me- they put measures in place to help them be successful. And from my experience, like CrossFit really didn't have that. No. There, it was completely, you just pay us the licensing fee to use that name, and that's all we're going to give you. Yeah. And the rest of it is on you. Yeah. There was no help to help them grow their business. Dude, I remember uh, mm-hmm. old Patrick when he started CrossFit Red. Yep. And, uh, you know, he finally, because I, I, was, I was working for him when he was really starting to think about going the CrossFit route. And that's one of the reasons that I branched off and started my own gym is because I did not want to go be your CrossFit and so he started doing the CrossFit thing, and it's like way back in the day, man. This is like fucking 
13 2007, man. Years 2008. Ago. That's yeah. when I moved here, and that's when I was at yeah. the same gym. Yeah. You and I probably had worked out together at yeah. one point in time in there, you know? So, yeah, it's funny. So, the, uh, so, you know, he goes and he starts CrossFit Red, puts in a bunch of money into creating a really nice gym. I think he even, like, you know, flew out, like, the head. Your great Glassman came out. came out, yeah. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, okay. Glassman came out and put yeah. on a seminar for us, like a nutrition seminar, just a regular kind of yeah. CrossFit talk type thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so you, I met you know, the guy first time. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the heads of the fucking CrossFit come out to open it. And, yeah. dude, within months, somebody had opened up, I think it was CrossFit Junction or whatever. Yeah, and, I think that was the next one. And it was just like, well, wait a minute. Like, and, they're, and, they're, and, and nowhere near the amount of money and, and time and effort spent into... Uh, starting it. It was like, I think it was probably one of the trainers from CrossFit Red went and just opened their own box. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, that is fucked up, man. Like how, where's the incentive for you to invest all this time, energy, and effort into creating a good CrossFit gym and then, which creates a good name for the CrossFit brand in the area. And then these other people can just come in and uh, swoop in on your territory and it just didn't seem like there was any, you know, regulation or oversight with that. So, I mean, way back then, I remember looking at it being like, that's kind of fucked up. Yep. So, I hope they do fix that. Because there are, there are gyms that put in a good amount of time, energy, and effort into being good CrossFit gyms. But then, yeah, you've got these other gyms that are, they just got the CrossFit name slapped on it. And they're not good gyms. And, like, yeah, CrossFit needs to do something about that. You know, if they really want to change their reputation in the fitness world, because it's kind of funny, is in the in the serious fitness world, it's kind of still like, oh, CrossFit's, you know, ha ha ha, whatever. Those monkeys, you know, they hurt people. Mm -hmm. They say they don't, but you know, they do. And you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've made strides to to being better, but they still have this reputation as hurting people, and that's why because you you have this this you know a bunch of gyms at the bottom that aren't very good and they're hurting a lot of people and they're offsetting the gyms at the top that are doing really good work and helping people. Mm -hmm. And, but the average, you know, the, the net outcome is not necessarily positive for the brand, but the money, when you've got a million affiliates paying you, it's uh, a different thing. So yeah, that's the one thing I hope they fix. They take this opportunity to actually create some change instead of just putting a new window dressing on the same old, uh, same old thing. We shall see. We shall see. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think it'll be fine. I think all these gems are going to come back and be like, "Oh, they're under new leadership and ownership, and they're going to be making these changes." And I'll bet he'll even reach out to them and be like, "I want to personally invite you to come, come back on, and yep. yeah, and, and help me make the changes that need to be made." There's so. a new culture. This is what we're striving for. Yep. Like, you think that? I bet you that would happen. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if it didn't happen like that. Yeah, or you know, or how many of these gyms and athletes are gonna like be holdouts and be like, "No, I said fuck CrossFit, and I'm at fuck CrossFit." Like I don't, I don't really see that being the I norm. I don't see that being the case. No. For most, I mean, there'll be a few. Yeah, but. there's no reason because they have a community. Like we talked about it. Remember we talked about comparing it to the fucking foosball thing. Yep. Like all of a sudden, this community and this whole thing just collapsed, and that's kind of where that was on the verge of. Like if Greg had dug his heels in, like that could have been one of the possible outcomes. Is that whole thing collapses and takes a while to rebuild back up to the point it is. But yeah, like I don't think anybody wanted that. Like if they can find some way to all come back home to the CrossFit banner and, and you know, under the warm glow of the fucking daily wad, then 
<laughs> that's where they want to be. Yep. You know, I think that's where they really want to be. But so yeah, I it'll be interesting to see. But I think it was uh, it was a good move to save the brand, and I think overall saving the brand is uh, not necessarily bad. So I think you do some good things with it. So there you go. What's your prediction, man? So. All right, here we go. Yes. So I, I finished up reading my first book about Teddy Roosevelt. It's okay. Called, and, and I've just started into the second one. So it's what it is. Uh, the author's name is Ed, Edward Morris, Edmund Morris. He wrote a three-book series on Teddy Roosevelt. The first one is The Rise of Teddy Roosevelt. I just finished that one. Second one is I just got that in the mail yesterday. So I just started reading it last night. It's called like Theodore Rex. And that's basically... So the first book is like from his childhood to the point where he becomes McKinley's vice president and then McKinley's assassinated and he steps into the presidency um, back in 1901. And that's about where the book ends. So this book seems like it's going to pay. I'm just in the prologue right now. It kind of seems like it's picking up from there. Yeah. Um, okay. So first of all, man, there's some internet, like <laughs> we, we've talked about before, like history repeats itself, right? Oh Yeah. Well, there was some fucking shady shit. It didn't get into all the details, and I had and I had to do a little more digging and just thought on my own. So I don't know if you're familiar with how uh, Teddy Roosevelt became vice president, how or why he became vice president and then ultimately president. So he he was a police. First of all, he I'll just back up to the point where he got elected police commissioner in New York City. Back in like the 1890s, sometime, 1880s, 1890s. Yeah. And the police department was corrupt as fuck. There was a lot of shenanigans going on. Yeah. So he stepped in. He didn't like corrupt people, man. He we all kind of know that from what we know about Teddy Roosevelt. He stepped in and was cleaning a lot of that up, stirring up a lot of shit, man. And uh, he did a good job there. And then from there, he went and he fought in the war over in Cuba. Right. You know, that's a pretty Rough famous Riders. story. The Rough Riders. That basically like got him fucking nominated to be governor of New York. Right. So boom, he jumped. He comes back from the war in Cuba. Motherfucker <laughs> went over to his own personal army. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm getting some action. Yeah. I am going through the fucking army route. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause, I mean, he was yeah. a lot of things. He's like the assistant secretary of the navy. Like this guy was a pretty powerful dude. Yeah. Goes over there, comes back, gets to be governor, and he and dude. So <laughs> politics in the late 1890s in New York were extremely corrupt. So the a lot of the politicians were in bed with the insurance companies and they were all just raking in the fucking money, man. And it was just getting traded back in, just like nowadays. Yeah. You know, whether it's pharmaceutical companies or the big oil companies and the politics, like we hear about it. But this shit just happens again and again and again. Yeah. Well, he was he was getting there trying to break all this shit up because he saw it and it was just rotten. It wasn't good for your average working citizen. And that's what he was looking out for the regular people, you know, yeah. and but the insurance companies, and like I don't know, they didn't get into all the details of the corruptness, but they were corrupt as fuck. Well, um, McKinley at the time was president, and his vice president Hobart was his health was garbage, like he was he was dying, and McKinley was gonna re, you know, uh, he was up for re-election in the nineteen year nineteen hundred, and so all the powers to be, basically like just forced it to happen. They nominated Teddy Roosevelt to be McKinley's running mate 
to get him out of the state of New York because he was disrupting this fucking flow of money between the politicians. <laughs> and that's really what yeah. happened. Yeah, Because yeah. he didn't want it. He's like, this vice president is like a ceremonious bullshit position. He's like, I don't do anything. He, he likes to work. He's like, yeah. I like to fucking get in there and pass bills and fix things and work. Yeah. And he didn't want to be vice president. He basically got his hand forced. I would wonder, I mean, I, you think he's a stand-up guy and there's no hint of there ever corruption or bribery, whether he... But you, it makes you wonder. Because they for, they basically forced his hand in one way or another and forced him into being McKinley's running mate. Yeah. So that's how they, that was really interesting. Like, oh, like they don't ever talk about that in the history. They always put a positive light on it. But I bet you there was way more shenanigans there than we're privy to. And they even, there was a, a part of that book they talked about. So you got to remember, this is a 1900. So the insurance companies and the politicians, whoever was in charge at that time, basically came up with like in the neighborhood of a billion dollars, which in 1900 is yeah insane. Yeah. Like fucking insane. Like a billion dollars nowadays, yeah, it's a lot of money. But back then, and they they spent that much money trying to get him to be vice president, they, you know, from committees and this and that. Like it was, so they pushed him into that. He was McKinley's running mate in the year 1900. McKinley got reelected. McKinley gets shot by Leon Choslov or something, some, and he was an anarchist. He gets shot, ends up dying. Lo and behold, Teddy becomes president. Yeah, um, only like six months into being vice president. But so that leads so that leads to my prediction. Okay. Because this Leon Choslov, I'm I'm probably butchering his last name. He was an anarchist, yeah. and there was a lot of shit going on in the 1900s, late 1800s. To the same shit that's going on right now. Yeah. These revolutions and these anarchists and these socialists. Like, it's, I mean, that's always been in our society, these little battles. Sometimes it's more prominent, but it was pretty prominent back then. Yeah. And uh, so, and this guy guns down McKinley um, into a second term, six months into a second term. Dude. You think Biden's a sacrificial lamb? No. Oh. I think, here's my prediction. <laughs> That's why they put somebody who's already almost dead. I think that Trump's going to get reelected. Yeah. And then there's going to be an attempt on his life if they don't, whether it's successful or not. I'm not yeah. saying don't fucking come arrest me. I don't yeah. want the guy to get assassinated. I don't. I don't have any plans to do it myself. I got other shit going on. I got yeah. to shoot track. No, we did just I got to shoot the whole track. first half of this podcast <laughs> talking about training for shooting guns. <laughs> I know. I'm going to get arrested. No, I have trap club Hitting going on. targets with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> I have trap club going on on Tuesday nights. I'm not, I'm not plotting an assassination of a president. But history repeats itself. There's a lot of fucking similar shit going on in 1900, 1901 when McKinley was shot yeah. to what's going on right now. He was reelected six months into his new... <laughs> New new uh, presidency. He was assassinated by an anarchist. Dude, if this was to happen again, I'd be like, look, it fucking happened once already. They, Trump, there's some similarities. You could draw some similarities between Trump and McKinley and the policies and the way the world is going. Yeah. He gets reelected. Like, just wait, man. So come next year, this time next year. Six months in. Huh? Six months in. Yeah. If there's an assassination attempt on Trump, go back. Look for you, dude. Go back and listen you to this episode. You don't want to be the guy that predicted this. Go back and listen to this episode. I told. I'm going to say I told you, motherfuckers. Yeah. So that's my big prediction. Huh. I, I just can't. Like I was reading. It was earlier this week. I was finishing up that book and getting into this one. I was like, holy fuck! There's so many similarities to what's going on then and now. 
Well, dude, yeah, it's always... It always does. You could read almost any time period and be like, holy shit, there's so much similarities. But this one, is li- this one is a little eerie. Yeah. I mean, granted, Pence is no fucking Teddy Roosevelt. No. But, uh, so that's a little off, Man, I thought you were going, they were going to, like, put somebody... Like, Biden was the sacrificial lamb, <laughs> and that they were going to have him assassinated. Because, you know, it's like... You can put Biden up against Trump, but he's not going to, like, make the turn. You know what I mean? It's this weird thing. It's like everyone is looking at him. Dude, one of his ads came on in Kiele, like, uh, uh, was, I was playing a video and, you know, she couldn't see the screen, Mm -hmm. so she couldn't see who it was and what it was about. And he starts talking and, dude, he fucking, like, flubbed, like, some of his words Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, dude, that's Joe Biden. And, and you know, we, they're, and she's like, that's Joe Biden. I'm like, yeah. She's like, I thought that dude was drunk. Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm like, that's the best take they could get from that dude was him only flubbing like, you know, two or three words. And uh, it was funny because they had the, the caption, like what it was, he was supposed to be saying underneath it. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, that's not what he said. <laughs> Anyways, um, so... It's one of these weird things. It's like, who the fuck really thinks this guy's actually going to last the whole four years? And, but he's a name that you can put up there that can beat Trump in the short term. Mm-hmm. And so, but you get him in, he's already got one foot out the door. Oh God. Well, he's, already just, one, he's already got one foot in the fucking grave. That's what I mean. You just fucking give him a little shove and he's there. Right. So six months in, you know, maybe he's not assassinated, but he fucking dies of a heart attack or whatever. And then whoever's running mate is, who is who the Democrats, you know, really wanted in there, but they knew wouldn't be able to put up and beat Trump straight up, is boom, in power. So what do you hmm. think? I like my prediction better. I like your prediction. That's good. I think there's gonna be an, I think Trump's gonna win it again, there's gonna be an assassination attempt. So you're going for the anarchists and I'm going for the, the Democratic Party being completely corrupt. We're probably both right. <laughs> I know it's gonna be a race. <laughs> it's gonna be like we're gonna kill our guy before you kill our that guy. So nah, that's uh, that's interesting. I'm reading this book. Uh, I just started it called the Osage or the was it the anyways? It's about the Osage Indian murders. Apparently, in the early 1900s, the Osage Indians got who had been relocated from somewhere in Kansas to you know, supposedly worthless land in Oklahoma, well, oil's discovered there. And so they're getting dividend checks in, you know, thousands of dollars. Like everyone in the tribe, like per capita, they're like some of the wealthiest people in the world. You know, if you're just looking at like their tribe compared to like other other nations and, and countries and stuff. Anyways, so uh, yeah, the, the, the preset to this is they start getting killed. Like somebody starts fucking knocking off members of the tribe and... They don't know who it is, and they got to call in the FBI, and the FBI is like newly formed, and they're like a bungling bunch of idiots, and you know, so there's is this whole like thing how solving this murder helped kind of create the modern day FBI, and also kind of highlighted like again, I don't know what happened yet, but like you know how how you know the the attitudes towards Native Americans and how this was allowed to like go as far as it was because there ended up being like twenty some odd people getting murdered, and uh, so but they were. In the beginning of the book, they're talking about how the police were a new thing because after the Civil War, 
the American citizens didn't want police departments because they were afraid that the police departments would become a tool of oppression for the government. Hmm. So it wasn't until the mid-1800s when you had more urban centers and you had like these urban riots and basically the fear shifted from fear of the government to fear of the lesser classes, that that's when the attitude changed and said, well, we need police departments. And so that's where the, where the police came from. I thought that was mm. fucking really super interesting historically given the, uh, the tone of, of today. But yeah, they were, you know, and so again, they were, it, it was a brand new thing. So him being the police commissioner of New York in the late 1800s, man, that office hadn't existed for more than like maybe 20 years. Right. I mean, they, the, the police force in New York was a relatively new phenomenon. And so, yeah, of course they're corrupt as fuck. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, um, but yeah, they were talking about how before that you had police, I forget, you know, justice or, or citizen policing. And so, you know, you still had your sheriff, you still had your judge, but the citizens would take it upon themselves to form an inquiry group. So if there was a murder, they formed an inquiry group to look into it and it was made up of citizens. And so they investigated the murder and they brought the evidence and they, you know, did all that stuff. And so like, yeah, there was a time when we had a, a citizen police group or thing going on. So again, it's weird, man, this thing like, you know, I'm not saying abolish the police, but this, this, this idea that you can't exist without police isn't necessarily true. Yeah. Well, these fucking knuckleheads and Chaz just proved ran this social experiment just recently. Right. And it failed fucking miserably. Right. But but there was no citizen policing. They, I'm not they saying tried. It. They tried. And there was murders, rapes. They put up walls. Just you yeah. know what's so ironic about that? Like they get pissed at Trump for putting up a wall around the country. They take over six blocks and put up walls. Put up a wall. They did the same fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they were trying to police and shit. People were yeah. getting killed and robbed in there. Oh, no, I know. It was a shit show. Yeah. So I'm not saying, but that's not representative. Because I'm saying, apparently, at one point in time, this country was survived without police departments, like with a citizen policing element. And the things that tipped the scale weren't that that wasn't working. Hmm. You think so? That's what it was. It was like the fear of the government or the fear of the lower classes because you had these urban centers, you had these urban riots. You know, basically you had these others that were causing problems and you needed someone to keep them in control. And it was getting out. It was, it was growing. The problem was growing larger than what the citizen policing could handle. So we and, needed a big, more So we needed a, a, yeah, a police group to handle the situation and hmm. so you know and again it's like so that was the answer there you know another answer might be do we really need these fucking urban centers that are carriers for disease and all sorts of crazy shit right it just seems like all sorts of bad stuff comes from dense urban centers yep. it just it, isn't, it never seems like what what you know anyways so uh but it was just it, it, like i said it was an interesting thing to read because it had nothing to do obviously, with what's going on today. And yet, in the beginning of this book was this insight into, like, holy shit. So, like, when these murders were taking place in 1900, like, you know, 1901, I think, is when the first murder took place. Or No, 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 it was, it was in the 1920s. 
So but they had like a citizen inquiry group, and that's why I explained it, because it was a remnant of this former time. And so there was this weird kind of crossover time where you had a police force, but you still had a tradition of citizen policing and the citizens taking upon themselves to help investigate murders and robberies and, and you know, bring people to justice. And today it's just completely been like, co-op, you know, here, it's the police's thing to do. And so anyways, yeah, interesting. I don't know if that's necessarily the right, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was necessarily the right they're, they're, I'm not saying that undoing that completely is the right choice, but I'm not. It just seems to me that putting everything in the hands of the police and the citizens having no sense of civic responsibility, that's, that's also kind of led to some of the, the shit that we see today. And just the, the, the you're, people are so self-centered and you don't think of yourself as part of a bigger group, bigger community, bigger society sort of thing. Yeah, and then it becomes this uh, systemic problem because you hand off responsibility to this other group, you know, whether police or government. Yeah. Well, then that's where it comes. Then, so the citizens, that's where I think a big problem of what's going on right now is there's a lack of accountability. No one's responsible for their for their environment or for their actions. Yeah, it's always somebody else's fault. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, it is. It's like it is. No, it's vicious. It's a vicious circle. There's no way to win this fucking mindset. There's no way. It's it's a really vicious circle. And man, I'm not smart enough to give you an answer. No, but you can definitely see how one feeds the other. You're like, yeah, you know, it's like, fuck. Well, how do you want to do that mess? Yeah, it's one of those. It's man, again, it's it's just like jujitsu, right? Like if you're having a problem with a certain position, like misery guard. You know, then, yeah, like you have to have the right attitude towards it, but you also have to acknowledge there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And I need to try to find a solution towards this problem while not giving in to this negative feedback loop of like, oh, this is somebody else's fault, you know? And it's like, no, man, it's, you know, this is your, you, you need to do what you can to get out of it. And part of that may be we need to discuss and find a fucking solution to this problem. Because, man, I totally, I don't, it is funny, man, I totally agree. I think, like I, I'm not anti-cop, but I think that the police in general is like it's, they're out of fucking control. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you get pulled over, what's what's the feeling that you get? Are are you are you just like normal? or Are you a little nervous? No, fuck no, you're always nervous. Yeah, dude. why? That's not why. That's not good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? On a fundamental level, like yeah, we don't fear that like we may get fucking killed for not being the right color or whatever. But I fucking yeah, you, you don't you don't know. You don't know. And and the thing is it's the culture that the police have created amongst themselves of the whole like this is what Malcolm Gladwell was talking about. That was the problem, one of the core problems that happened with that that, you know, incident with the cop and that, you know, Sandra, lady Sandra Blaine. Yeah, who ended up hanging herself was that on some level it wasn't that he was racist. He was just doing what he was trained to do. It was a policy. It was a policy. And this policy of looking at the citizenry, everyone is a potential criminal. You need to find some way to pull them over or, or, or be able to make contact with them and then look beyond the initial contact reason. Mm-hmm. Like this is policy. And then you dig into it and you find out like, oh, well, they get money mm-hmm. for this policy. And there's this and there's that. And it's like, this is bullshit, man. Like there's no reason that you should feel nervous for any reason when a fucking cop pulls you over and interacts with you. There's just, that's unacceptable, I think. So I do, something needs to change. 
And but yeah, it needs to be a fundamental shift in the way policing is done. Making it, you know, calling it racism is almost too simple and lets people off the fucking hook. Right. Because you don't have to change what the fundamental problem is. You just have to look like you're being anti-racist. Right. And that's that's not the same thing. Like you're not creating change that way. And like that's my big fear with this whole thing is like. Yeah, that, well, I think you hit it right on the head. You said something right there that's really frustrating me is. Yeah, it needs to be a fundam- fundamental change at its root. All this shit we're seeing right now is all just fucking virtue signaling, man. Like taking yeah. taking Gone with the Wind off HBO. Yeah. You know, this like dude, first of all, who the fuck was trying to watch that movie anyways? And who gives a fuck with that? It's a movie on some streaming service. You know what I mean? Like, Ooh. they do all this shit. It's all so much fucking virtue signaling. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> bands changing their names and and it's like, motherfucker, none of this is going to fix the problem, man. Yeah. None of this is... Dude, listen to this shit. The hypocrisy, though. The other night I'm watching one of these random channels, and it's some cowboy channel, and they had some old western come on. And this was... The old western, the theme was uh, Custer and Little Bighorn. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know today Custer was a fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. He was a bastard. On some level, he deserved to fucking get killed, right? Would you agree? Agree, yeah. You're watching this movie and he's the hero. This is some old black and white one in the early 1900s, right? He's the fucking hero. He's the like, I'm here to impose order on this fort and these engines, you know, we, they feel that we've taken their hunting grounds and they have no choice but to declare war on us. Well, we'll show them now, won't we? And he's got his wife who follows him around in her little dress and, and he, she's like, anywhere with you is fine, sweet. It's just like totally over the top. They've got a white girl playing the the lead Indian oh, who yeah. probably falls in love with Custer. I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I'm like, <laughs> I guarantee you there's some fucking Indian that falls in love with one of the white guys and they couldn't find an Indian to play it. So they had to find a white girl to play the Indian. You know, they had some Indians in it, right. actually, which was cool to see. That was like why I wanted to watch the little bit that I did was because you actually got to see fucking real Indians playing Indians. But again, a lot of it was this like, how white man bullshit, right? And it's like, they're taking Gone with the Wind off, but this fucking movie's still on, and I don't want them to take it off. Right. I don't want them to take it off. I think, and again, for people who don't know, like we, you know, you know, like I, I have some American Indian blood. Like I'm a registered member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. So like, like I, I feel some of that pain, you know, that uh, of just this, this, you know, that stereotyping and, and how they were looked at and treated and shit like that. But I think that it's good for us to keep it as like a historical reference. Like, you know, this is, we learn from this. Right. Like, that's the thing. Like, you I gotta was, learn from your mistakes. Mistakes. That's you, just, can't, you can't erase the mistakes. You can't pretend they didn't happen. Right. Because, because then there's nothing to learn from. We're not gonna prog- progress as a society getting rid of our mistakes. Yeah. You can't go back and undo them. Yeah. They happened. Yes. We have to admit, okay, yeah, we fucked up. This was this really bad way to operate. We see we used to operate that. Let's move forward. Just getting rid of it. What are you going to do? Pretend it didn't yeah. happen? Dude, when I knew, I don't know if you heard this, but like one of the statues they fucking ripped down in San Francisco was Ulysses S. Grant. Uh-huh. He was the fucking leader of the Northern armies who freed the slaves. Yep. But before that, he married into a slave owning family and he owned some slaves for a brief period of time. So therefore, you need to erase his... And it's like, the greatest people out there became great because they fucking learned from a mistake. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, the heroes fuck up and they learn from those mistakes and that's what makes them heroes. 
And this idea that like if you're not perfect from day one and have done nothing wrong, therefore you can't be uh, looked up to. It's like, holy shit, obviously he learned. You know, dude, no one's going to stand up to that scrutiny. No you one. Know, no one. None of us are perfect. It's like yeah. this whole thing with like, oh, let's go back and see if anyone did blackface back in the day. And yeah. now we're going to fucking crucify them. You saw him try to crucify Joe Rogan for I, not saying something to Joey Diaz. Yeah, I, I haven't caught up with that. I didn't know what was going on. I've, I heard Joey Diaz talking a little bit about like people trying to cancel him. And you can't cancel Joey Diaz. <laughs> no. He's like, you cocksuckers, you can suck my dick. Yeah. He, he's a foul, he's a foul well, dude. See, and I don't, what were they trying to... I don't understand what happened. He said something. This was a few years ago. Said something about... To the effect of, of you know making chicks that wanted to get on stage... You know, give him a blowjob or, or you know something like that, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, see, you're it's, laughing it's about Joey Diaz. If you dude. don't know Joey Diaz, you don't know. Like he says outrageous shit. He's just a, yeah. To get a rise out of you. Now, yep. some of the shit he says is true, but some of it's just to get a rise. And right. and and for you to treat everything he's saying as true means that you don't know him. And he may have just been saying something to get a fucking rise out of Rogan. Rogan don't know. Right. And Rogan laughed at it. Right? He did what you did. Okay. And he got, that's, oh, he didn't say something to Joey Diaz about why that's not right and why you shouldn't treat women this way. Oh, God. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. It, yeah. It, it's funny, man. It's weird, man. I don't I don't know if Joe enjoys this new public spotlight that he bought for himself for $100 million. Mm-hmm. He's a different dude. It's a different dude. $100 million dude. buys you a, a seat in the public eye. Yep. And. I've already been, because, like, I listen to that, every time an episode comes out, you know, I'm. Dude, I listen to podcasts roughly six hours a day, you know, just all the time I spend in the truck. Yeah. I've already seen a, sh- a shift in the way he's communicating, and it's going to change, man. Maybe yeah? Just, think so? Oh, it's already changing. I mean, I mean, what I do can, you... What do you what, I can sense it. Like, he's... You've you listened to more than I have, for sure. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I pick episodes here and there. Uh, dude, I've listened to fucking every episode of that podcast from, like, episode 200 on. I tried yeah. to, I've, I've tried to go back before then. But the sound quality was so terrible. Yeah, I couldn't do it. But dude, I've been listening to it for years now. Yeah, it's 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 shifting already. He is definitely being very careful into how he says things. Yeah, and how they come across, and especially with this whole Black Lives Matter thing and all this. Like he is being over the top cautious. I mean, I think he just, and maybe that I think he just is correctly reading the 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 cultural tone mm-hmm. of the time like this is this is like the reign of terror after the french revolution mm-hmm. like they were just looking for people to drag to the guillotine yeah and that's what and that's what i'm getting at like he because he just made this big ass deal so he's got a fuckload of money coming in and people are headhunting right now yeah they see someone really successful like him this middle-aged white bald guy they're just waiting for him to fuck up yes. so they can try to cancel They've him. They've been trying him. to fucking get after him for... And, and he's very... And he's not a dumb guy. No. And he's aware of that. He's yeah. very aware of that. He's trying... It seems like this obviously just my fucking meathead opinion. But it seems... I mean, obviously he's aware of that. But he's trying not to let it change too much of how he behaves and acts on the podcast. But it's... It's hard not it's to. It's hard not to, It's man. hard not to, man. It's hard not to. He just got a good yeah. little nest egg. He is set for the rest of his life as long as he didn't... His kids yeah. are set. More power to him, man. But there's going to be people headhunting for him. Yeah. So he's got to be careful. And yeah. Any of us would act the same way. Any of us, yeah. It's, it's going to change the culture. It's, yeah. Man, I can, I mean, I'll, 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 on a small scale, like me with Bike James, I kind of, I'll admit I've undergone the same thing. Like when I was, 
uh, originally out there, man, like I would, again, I would say shit just to rile people up and I would fucking get into, you know, common battles with people going back and forth and it just wears you out. Yeah. And so then you start realizing, man, if I, you know, and you can't help, like I, I think about it and it frustrates me sometimes because I think about the original Bike James and I think about Bike James today and they're not necessarily the same character. And I, I'm often like, man, I should just go back to that. But like, I can't, I, I, just, I just, I can't, I don't, when I, when I try to, I'm just like, man, I know what's going to happen. I know exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I just don't have the fucking time and energy for it. So I'm going to put my time and energy in a different direction. You know, I'm still trying to be myself and I don't mind stirring up shit, but you just have to be more aware of, okay, this is just going to stir up shit and it may not actually do anything. You know, this may actually do something and help somebody and it's going to stir up some shit, you know? And so you just, you just become more conscious of just making sure that you're making these decisions and you're not doing too much stuff where you're like creating shit for yourself for no payoff. You know, whereas back in the day, it's like, you just, you don't know. And you got the time and energy and you're like, I, I like fighting these motherfuckers. Yeah. Fuck you, motherfucker. I'll just say shit to make you say stupid shit, you know? And yeah, I would just go on Facebook and like, you know, post the random like couples pedal suck or whatever, just to get people riled up and get a, an argument going. And yeah, so I, I that's why, you know, I, I once you said that, I've noticed the same thing. But that's been my interpretation. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the beginning, they tried to get him for uh, testing. The fact that he had access to testing and poor people didn't. You know, they tried to hold him up as like this example of how the disparity in the U.S. over testing, access to testing. You know, and he's like, motherfucker, I got the money to pay yeah. for him. No one's giving them to me. Like, I'm paying I'm for them. them. I'm buying them. And yeah, and then, uh, yeah, the Bill Burr thing with the mask. You know, and he was pulling a Joey Diaz. He, he was trying to get fucking Bill yeah. Burr riled up. Yeah, and again, if you don't know Joe Rogan... And you don't know Bill Burr, yeah. how funny dude is fun just to get that guy spun up and listen to him rant. Yeah. Like his part, have you ever listened to Bill Burr's Monday Morning Podcast? No, uh-uh. It's a solo podcast. He never interviews anybody. He just gets on there and he rants. Oh, dude, you'll be fucking rolling, man. Because uh, he's a funny fucking dude. And so, yeah. yeah, and when you have a friend like that in your life and it's good just to get them spun up yeah. and watch them go, like, I try to do it to you sometimes. I'm oh, here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you just, just throw something out there, get it going a little get bit, and just sit back. Spun up and sit back. It's funny, man. I can tell sometimes when you're just sitting there and you're sitting back <laughs> watching me, and I'm like, that motherfucker did it again. I'm like, in this big old monologue here, all worked up, and he's smiling over there. Like, Shit, dude. But. Yeah, man, he's common. The, the people looking at Joe, they remind me of... It's like uh, like when the UFC signed with ESPN. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you got a whole different set of eyeballs on it and a whole set of different people covering it. And you can tell, like, some people just don't understand the sport. Mm-hmm. Some people just don't get how, you know, what, what it's about. And so, you know, you get these people covering it and saying ridiculous stuff and doing, you know, and, and it's it's kind of the same thing, man. You just don't... You're the eyeballs. If you don't know Joe, then you're going to say stupid shit because you don't understand his show and what he does. And, you know, same thing with UFC. If you don't understand MMA, God, what was it, man? I was reading, you know, obviously it's like just the bloodlust of, of the fans. I don't know. It, it was an article not too long ago. And it's like, really, in this day and age, we're still just saying that anyone who likes MMA has this bloodlust. And that's that's why we like it is for this bloodlust. Mm-hmm. It's like what? How the fuck do we? Do you have people 
who call themselves journalists, you can still write shit like this, but it's because people still believe it. But so, yeah. Anyways. Anyways. So there you go. We ended up talking some political shit. We did. We we steered away from this for like two or three episodes, pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We just had to dive right back in. Well, I see. I wanted to steer it that way because it was the I, Teddy Roosevelt. The Teddy, and, and then I had my insight. I was like, oh yeah. Well, I wanted to make sure to get my prediction out there that. What's going to happen? Dude, I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. It's All I know is uh, I hope The Rock runs. So, like, I don't, like, if there's ever a chance for a third-party candidate, like this would be it. Where's Richard Pryor and Brewster's Millions when you need them, man? <laughs> none of the above. None of the above. Pay for none of the above. That's, that's what he... Mm-hmm. He, he wasn't going to run. He was just going to have none of the above put. Which was... Who knows, man? fucking vote. So, yeah. I don't know. I say we call that a wrap. I don't think any more about it. Eat a little snack. Go train. Yeah. I'm ready to go train today. I'm ready to go train. I didn't get to train last night. Got stuck at work. I know. It was a bunch of uh, white belts. And then, uh, who was there? Trey was there. Oh, yeah. Big Chris and George were there. I know. I bummed. I didn't get to train with those guys. Yeah. That was good fun. Chris is so funny, man. Like, he just loves to play the leg lock game. Mm -hmm. And that's great because... He's also a big dude. If he gets on top of you, will squash you. Mm-hmm. And so if I can lure him into a leg lock battle, he's not on top of you. He's not on top of me, man. Yeah, exactly. So I always laugh about that. I'm always like, dude, I'm so glad he, you know, because it's fun. Like someone else who knows the leg lock game, like if you really are like, all right, man, like we're going to go at it. We're going to see who's going to get the other one first. It can be fun. It's an intricate, like fun thing to do. And, not necessarily everybody likes to do it and, and has the skill to do it. So it's always fun. Like I lo- that's one of the reasons I like rolling with him is because, you know, we get in those. He's a fun, tra- he's a fun training partner, man. Yeah. Dude, and it's like, dude, if you fuck up, he's going to suck. He's going to get you with something. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's a super fun training partner. But yeah, that was, uh, I remember you telling me he's not in his fighting weight no and so he's a big boy right yeah now. halfway through i was like dude i'm so glad he still likes to play leg locks i was afraid <laughs> he's gonna get on top of me and that was gonna be it yeah he got on top of me a couple times it was trouble boy i think yeah. the only reason i got out is because he let me out yeah no yeah he said him and uh george has been training nogi mm-hmm. they just they train with each other pretty much they don't really have a gym they train at anymore so just that's good out. that means we'll see a lot of them hopefully yeah in theory fuck yeah man so Anyways, right on. Well, I guess that's it. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Grumpy Guy BJJ Podcast. Thank you all for listening. You can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really does help and will allow us to keep putting out episodes. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas, hit us up at grumpyguybjj at gmail.com. Also, go to our website, grumpyguybjj.com, and get signed up for podcast updates and get our free BJJ Improvement Starter Kit. That's it for now, so get on the mat, train hard, and talk to you all next week. They shoes, no trace of the tools Shaped in your face, fuck the rules Snooze, you lose One night 
I always open It times two, no clue But soon a brief monsoon Might give you a view to choose Stay tuned, include, won't conclude To the end is near beware There's consequences for what you do To me, demon The devil of many levels I keep on feeding For several of them rebels Me, myself, he died Me, myself, he died